All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck nicks? What the fucksters? What the fuckstables? What the fuckadelics? Fine. Mark Marin here. This is WTF. I'm not tired of that intro. Uh, it seems it's interesting when you do something for years, how ingrained it is in you. I'm not even going to talk about it. I don't even know why I brought it up. Did I mention I'm Mark Marin? This is WTF. Thank you for listening to my show. I appreciate you being here. Before those of you that fast forward forward, I want to say if you live in the Los Angeles area, I'm doing a series of shows at the Trippany Theater uh, at the Steve Allen Theater. Uh, I am doing a series of what I'm calling a ramble, flounder and wrestle shows. I will be appearing there on Tuesday nights, the February 18th. That's tomorrow. And also March 4th and 11th. I have to figure out what I want to talk about. This is how I write. This is my process. This is the way the work gets done for me. So uh, it's a cheap ticket. I think it's eight bucks. All the proceeds are going to go to benefit the theater. And I am uh, with low expectations on your part. I'm going to engage and talk and perhaps ask you for things to talk about. Not in an improvised, you know, kind of improv way, but to engage in conversation. I got to feel out where I'm at. I got some ideas, but none of them are fully fleshed out. And I just burned an hour and a half on a special starting from scratch. I need to tour. I need to do the comedy. I need to bring it to the people, but it needs to start here in this tide pool, this primordial soup of February 18th, March 4th and 11th at the Trippany Playhouse at the Steve Allen Theater. Just go to trippanyhouse.org and look under the tickets things and get some tickets. They usually sell out. It seats a little over a hundred, I think, but, um, but come and help me if you want. I, you know, and I'm hesitant. I'm hesitant. I mean, those of you who know me will know what you're getting into. Uh, let, let's just see what happens. I need to do it. Okay. I need your help. And also uh, some more self-plugging. The DVD of Thinky Pain is available and out there in the world at Amazon and Best Buy and all those places where you might purchase DVDs if you want to have that recent special that I burned that hour and a half on. It's available to yous. Okay. On the show today, uh, a comedy road monster, a comedy veteran and uh, full-on pro, great comic, Billy Gardell. Billy Gardell, he's on uh, uh, Mike and Molly uh, show. I believe that's on CBS. Uh, That's where some of you might know him from. But he was also just a a huge stand-up. And he was one of those guys that I always heard about. You know, when you you do stand-up and you hang out with stand-ups, you're like, you know, Gardell? Gardell, do you know Gardell? Do you know Billy Gardell? Do you know Gardell? And I'm like, nah, I don't know him, man. And finally, we kind of hooked up. I, I ran into him and we talked on the phone. I said, come on, let's do this. Let's uh, let's talk. You know, he's doing a, a thing with Showtime called, uh, the, the, I believe it's called Road Warriors. Hold on, let me double check. Uh, Road Dogs. That's it, Road Dogs. He's taking a lot of the comics that maybe a lot of you aren't familiar with that are out there doing the job of a comedian and, and putting them on the show. And it's, a, it's really a spectacular to watch. You know, there's a lot of comics, a lot of unsung heroes out, out there of our profession. Uh, Gardell uh, would be one of them if he wasn't on Mike and Molly, but there's other guys. Like, uh, I know that Kenny Rogerson was on one, Earthquake. I mean, these are just cats that, that, that are real pros and may not have gotten the attention that you think that uh, that, you, that would let you uh, know who they are. So, so Billy's coming up. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about all of that. But he's a great comic, and he's on the show today. We'll talk to him in a second. What's going on with me? I just got back from Minnesota. I went to Minnesota for the night to record the show Wits with John Moe and uh, Jason Isbell and his wife, Amanda Shires. 
they were on the show as well. So a lot of you were saying, like, you got to interview Jason Isbell. You got to interview Jason Isbell. And I was, you know, leaving from Minnesota. I'm like, I don't, I don't know who Jason Isbell is. The album Southeastern's spectacular. I'm like, I, I, okay, all right, all right. He's in the drive-by truckers. Oh, shit, I know the drive-by truckers. I like the drive-by truckers. I like Paris and Hood and those guys. But me, I didn't know the exact history of the drive-by truckers. I mean, I like music. I like certain bands. I haven't heard everything by all the bands. But I knew the albums that Isbell was on in the drive-by truckers after I did a little research. So I brought my rig with me, not really knowing if I was going to talk to Jason Isbell, but I sat in that room in Minnesota and I listened to his last three solo albums and they're spectacular. And then I asked him if he wanted to do the show on Twitter and then we exchanged numbers. He said he would, but he was flying in from a gig and we do it after the witch show, which would be 12 at night. And he had to get up at five in the morning to do another gig, the life of the road musician. But man, let me tell you, those records are spectacular. He's the real fucking deal. So it was an honor to be on the stage with him. And his wife, who was also an amazing musician and singer. And we did the John Moe. He's got the he's got a house band there and there were some sketches and things. And here's how the show is structured. You know, you go, you rehearse, you have a, a catered meal and then you start the show. There's an intermission. Then you come back and do the rest of the show. It's about five, six hundred people in the theater. It's going well. We're out there on the first act and, uh, you know, we do it. Goes well. Got some laughs, had some fun. Then there's an intermission. I go back to my dressing room at intermission. Someone had stolen my fucking iPhone out of the dressing room at the theater. Now, I was livid on a lot of levels. Where was the security for this situation? How did someone get through and to the dressing room of the theater to take my iPhone? Why would someone want a fucking iPhone 4? That was the first level. You know, you can't believe uh, for some reason initially when it happens that your phone is gone. Because as our lives are now, it's not just a phone. It's really a good portion of your brain. You know, everything is on there. You think in that moment, oh my God, everything is on there. Everything, my emails, my address book, my music that I'm listening to right now, my important personal information. Is that really on there? I don't know. But there's this panic uh, because we are so phone dependent. Really, I think if some of you were pushed to the edge and asked like, who who are you really closest with in your life right now? Who's the most important person to you in 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 your life if you really thought about it it might be your phone they're an appendage they're an organ it's not just an iphone it's an organ it, it is something that i require to live so you think so there it was gone and then once i established it was gone then the panic sets in who's got my shit now i knew my phone locked immediately and i know there's a way to track the phone so we get on a computer this is an intermission All right, I'm losing it, not making it pleasant for anybody. We have another hour of the show to do. I don't want to be that much of a fucking freak and buzzkill everybody, but this is a major crisis. I've lost an organ. So we try to track it on the find your iPhone thing because I remembered my password for once. I remembered my fucking password. Um, It wasn't trackable like that wasn't going to make a difference. Then someone goes, let's call the cops. I'm like, that's not going to help me. I'm, you know, I'm bleeding. Please help me. Some part of me is dying right now. My phone is gone. I don't know if I'm going to survive this mentally or emotionally. Here's what's interesting. When you lose your phone, what do you do first? All right, you go to check to see if it's an iPhone, if you can find the iPhone. I couldn't find the iPhone. What was my first thought? Well, fucking, I don't want Moon to think that I'm icing her. So, I, you know, in the middle of the crisis, on intermission, before the second act of the show, I email Moon and I'm like, I lost my phone. Uh, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I hope I live through this. Um, uh, what's your phone number? Uh, I'll call you from the hotel when I get back. What's your phone number? I don't know anyone's fucking number. So that was my first thought. Better let the woman I'm seeing 
know that I didn't die or that, you know, I'm not uh, lost or kidnapped. Just my phone has been taken. My phone has been kidnapped. Then what's the next order of business? Holy fuck. What if someone is tweeting as me? Oh, the, that would be a crime against humanity. That would be horrible. If someone was like making unclever or, or tweets that weren't like me, I'd have to assume that if they were tweeting as me, they weren't going out of their way to make it in my voice. Right? So that was my second panic. These are important things. Not like, is there credit card information on there? Is my social security number on there? Are other people's social security numbers on there? Uh, is there a way they can get into my bank account? No, God forbid someone tweets as me because that's what's important. I can wake up tomorrow and my bank accounts could be empty, but thank God I changed my Twitter passcode in time so someone didn't represent themselves as me. That, that stealing of my identity was more upsetting than my bank accounts being drained. God forbid someone misunderstands something on Twitter and I, I, am, I am robbed that way. Then I called my tech guy or I emailed him and he was like, God bless him if, they're, if you believe in that kind of thing. Jeremy over at MacMan, what's his? Let, let's give him a plug because he fucking went above and beyond the Call of Duty. That guy, MacManNow.com. If you're in the LA area and you want a Mac guy, this was Valentine's Day, the evening of Valentine's Day. I email Jeremy. I'm like, dude, my phone got stolen. He's like, no problem. So he does some techno wizardry, and he he reaches out to the sky with his magic. He reaches out to the space. He reaches out to space, and he tells the cloud to turn my phone into garbage. He reaches out to space and he tells my cloud to, to make my, what he called my phone is now a brick. Now I've got a dead phone out there that was once connected to me, an organ. My organ is gone. But here's what I wanted to get to. I wanted to toot my own horn because in the middle of all this chaos, once I knew that the phone was shut off from space, I went back out there for the second act and, and behaved as a professional. I mean, my innate instinct was to get on stage and go, I know this is a radio show, but one of you fuckers took my phone and this is bullshit and Jason's not going to play. Amanda's not going to play fiddle. And I don't care what John wants to do. He can shut up until someone steps forward. I'll give you this one opportunity and we'll all, we'll be proud of you. But as a group, as an audience, we will support this. If you come forward and just give me my phone and cry. I did not do that because I knew that it was not all about me and that we had a show to do and the show must go on. We did the show. I played some guitar. I, I was funny and I put it all aside. And at the end, it, it was hard for me not to go, wait, before everyone goes, someone stole my phone. I wanted to do that. But you know what? Why diminish the show like that? I just take the hit. And maybe there's a reason that I don't have a phone anymore. Maybe there was a reason that I needed to feel what it felt like to not have my phone and to uh, to overcome that obstacle, to let it go. There was nothing I could do. I did all I can do and that's all you can do. And then you just got to see what happens. So that, that was a tough nine hours. Very difficult to not be able to tweet impulsively or text constantly or check my emails always. It was difficult. It was difficult. But uh, the people at NPR in uh, Minnesota, the people from WITS, they picked me up early. And they took me to a Sprint store and they got me set up with another phone. And then uh, I was able to retrieve my information from space, retrieved my identity from space and hooked myself up back to a better and newer organ that is now in place now. And that's a very touching story. It's rare that people survive without certain organs for eight or nine hours. But I did. I did. 
and uh, I was given another one the next day, and now I have the uh, iPhone 5S, I think it's called, and, and all is well. All worked out. Hello, Moon. <laughs> Hello, Mark. You just got here? I just arrived. Those the glasses that Matilda got you? Yeah, my $12 glasses. Given to you by your $9, your $9 daughter, <laughs> your nine-year-old daughter. Hey, look, let's clear it up right now. What? What was the issue uh, after I talked about us? Where are we going? Are we going to Costco? Oh, yeah. But we can wait on Ikea. Yeah, we can wait on Ikea. And what are we getting at Costco? You're getting Sonicare toothbrushes. Yeah, for my place. Right. And do you need anything else? Do you need- uh, Paper towels. Bulk paper towels. Okay. Possibly containers. Ooh, what kind of containers? Uh, lunchbox containers. But we were there once before, and you don't like the plastic ones. You prefer glass because you have a problem with things that are not authentic. <laughs> that's true. Man-made things are gross. Okay, so glass, that's na- nature <laughs> formed by man? Glass is a natural thing that is then harnessed by man? I, just plastic, when, when you have something sitting in plastic, it tastes yucky. You know what's worse is when you put plastic in the dishwasher and then eat out of it. Really? Then you taste, yeah, then you taste dis- dishwasher soap. Hmm. But anyways, the point is, let's clear up the problem. I talked about our relationship on Thursday. I did it behind your back mm-hmm. and then alerted you to it. Yes. And I presented that as a Valentine's Day gift <laughs> later in the day. <laughs> That's true. It was very romantic. But but your daughter Matilda had a, an issue. I'd like to I'd like to air that out. That'd be great. She was okay. really mad. Why? Because she feels like it was her doing that we're a we. Because that one time that we all went out to that family event, mm-hmm. she was in the back and you and I were talking. Yeah. It was before we were, I don't think we were, what we were, were we doing anything. I don't think so. Maybe we made out? Possibly. Right. So I was along for the ride feeling uncomfortable mm-hmm. and uh, not knowing how to behave in front of a nine-year-old child or you, quite frankly, at that <laughs> point. And we were going to a family event that had nothing to do with me or you, oddly. It was... Ahmet's family, mm-hmm. his wife's family. Yes. So it was all awkward. Mm-hmm. And Matilda said what? She, uh, we drove past the Wee Spa and she started talking about nakedness. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she happened to mention, uh, once she'd seen me uh, flinching because of the nakedness conversation, uh-huh. she then decided to add fuel to the fire and say, uh, in addition to the humiliation she's feeling right now, I should also mention my mom has a crush on you. And you very graciously said, I have a crush on your mom, too. You uh-huh. kind of saved the day with that. But yeah. she didn't let it end there. Right. She said, well, maybe you should take her on a date. That's right. And then she suggested Benihana's. Benihana's. And she suggested the chicken and steak combo meal, which is a kid's meal, apparently. But she feels confident we could still order it. Okay. So so that was the beginning in her mind. In her that- mind, where are we because of her? Okay, so I will give her that credit here publicly, that it was really all Matilda's doing. Mm-hmm. Is she going to listen to this? Probably. I'm going to make her listen to it now. And I want to apologize publicly to the world, to Matilda, for not including her in the narrative, which would be the story of our relationship, <laughs> because it was indeed her doing that made us come together. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go to Benny Hans with me? Yeah, I do. Okay, and we'll order that thing? Yeah. All right, folks, this is uh, Billy Gardell now that you're going to be listening to, and I will be in Costco, probably. It's 
weird when you hear people evolve. I mean, you've been doing this how long? I uh, me, I'm coming up on let's see, 87, 97, 2007, 25, 25. Coming up on the quarter, right? Yeah, first quarter, right? So you remember guys that we started with, yeah? And like there were there are guys that you could watch and be like, that that's never going to happen. Yeah. Whatever, <laughs> whatever that guy's doing, yeah, that's not going to work. Well, out. I know I shouldn't do that. Yeah, but then they <laughs> they become huge. Like I got, I know guys where it's sort of like yeah. I thought that it was yeah. done for you. Yeah. And yeah. you see them change, and it's fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. But you start, like, I didn't really, we never hung out. We, I never really we met always, you. I think our once stories may have crossed paths. Right. And uh, and I think uh, we have a lot of mutual friends. Yeah, of course. We have a lot of, of mutual friends. And you're one of those guys where people are like, oh, Gardell's the best. You know, how do you not know Gardell? It, it, took, know. it took a minute to get to be that guy. Because <laughs> at the beginning, it was, what a funny kid, when I was trying to figure out who I was. And then it it stopped being what a funny guy and went to boy that fucking guy drinks a lot. Well, you and, know. And then uh, and then after the I I I made a conscious decision to get back to boy that guy's funny again. Well, wait, wait, but know? where'd you grow up, man? You uh, well, I started out. I, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Do you go? Do you have family there? Yeah, but my my dad, mom were there. They're now down in Florida. Both they're, your parents are in Florida. Yeah, they're divorced, but they live. 30 minutes from each other in Orlando. Do they still speak? hate each other? No, oh. they hate each other. When did that happen? Well, they pretend they don't, but they still do. But when know? did it happen? When did, when did My they... My mom took us to Florida when I was probably about 11 or 12. Like on, like running to Florida? No, like we mar she married some uh, guy that was going to go down to Florida and open a construction business. <laughs> Big idea that guy. guy. Yeah, he was a wonderful inspiration <laughs> yeah. for a lot of my comedy. And uh, and then we went down to Florida, and then we would do the school year in Florida, then we'd go back to Pittsburgh and stay with my dad and his wife for the summer. So they, got, they both got remarried quick. Yeah, my dad got remarried quick. My mom got remarried two more times, but it was a harder path for her. I mean... She had me, my derelict brother, and my derelict sister, you know. That, Real derelicts or just yeah, in, in fondness? Like <laughs> insane. We were insane. And those poor men would come to the house and like, you get that with the package? That's really not <laughs> it's, fair it's to her. Tough sell. Not fair to was, her. Was, so, not that she was getting the cream of the crop, you know. Over 35, <laughs> Two, three kids. Oh, you're not, you know, you, stockbrokers ain't lining up, you know what I mean? You do what you can. <laughs> you get so, what yeah. you need. So then we went down there and we started, uh, that's, by, that's my favorite Stone song by the way but we um uh we went down there man i just always wanted to be a comic i knew at nine do you have any sense of pittsburgh nine. oh yeah man pittsburgh's my heart I really because i was back there every summer my grandparents who were the best influence in my life were from there yeah so that city is the most important part of my work it's, it's one of those interesting cities where you know it's got the, the old sort of pennsylvania thing but there's also a lot of money there because yeah. there's the colleges right well there's that's how they survived right when the steel mill shut down they became a college town and adapted to all right we, we can either die on the vine or we got to change well, you, we got four good schools here. Let's do this and push inventions. Yeah. Do you, but do you uh, do, do do you come from steel people? I do. I got some steel workers in my past. I got some painters, some bankers, some real. Uh, yeah. But I mean, without them, you get no skyscrapers. You get you, you get no, no New York City. You got no, no railroads. railroads. You got nothing. You All got of nothing. it came yeah. from there, from yep. Pennsylvania. Yep. From uh, you know, from you not being able to see the sun as a child. That was it, man. <laughs> you know, if it says four o'clock, boy, them stacks <laughs> let go. You're like, oh, it's just dark now. It, and why do I feel so greasy? 
that, is that really true, though? Oh, yeah, man. It would just cover the sky. And then when they shut them down, yeah. it became one of the cleanest places in America to live. So It's a pretty state. Strange. It's a big state. Yeah. When you, you drive west across it, yeah. like from east to west, you're, like yeah. when you drive, when you do that drive from... Uh, from like New York, or if you go through New York to LA, you're like, yeah. holy fuck, how big is Pennsylvania? Yeah. <laughs> it just never ends. Yeah, it's the northern Texas, but with more trees. You, you don't you don't realize it though, right? Um, but your dad didn't work at the mill, huh? No, my dad was, uh, he was in the Navy for a little while, then he was, uh, uh, he did a little house painting. His dream was always to be an animator. And he was always funny. My dad was really funny. He, he is. I'm talking about him like he's dead. He, he was very funny. <laughs> Not he's funny still, anymore, but he uh, used to be. He's fun. still funny. He's he's uh, he was he was that guy that was just really funny. Yeah. And uh, my mom and him were just two people that just they weren't supposed to be together. Were they fighting? I mean, they. It, I think they were just married really young. Yeah. You know, they had me when they were 20. Right. You're the oldest. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And uh, and it just didn't work out for them. You know what I mean? They I don't know how things. they. I don't know how the fuck that any of them can do it's it from really, that generation. It's, they start at 20 and they don't, they don't, I don't know they, what they're just, doing. Yeah. Well, yeah, but they think that's what you do. Yeah, this that's is what, what you did up until then. I know, so, but I don't know who know. made that rule. No, I don't either. I mean, there must have been either. some people in the world that didn't fucking have kids. Yeah, and... I don't know. I don't know those people because <laughs> I became one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but you waited a little I did bit. wait. No, I had to wait till I was I was ready. Yeah. I, I, that's the maybe one of the two smart decisions I've made in my life. Is waiting for Because I was waited. I waited till I was ready. And then now that we have them, it's the greatest thing in my life. Just one. Oh, good. Just one, yeah. Yeah, mine's will just spoil one. Why, why fuck one. it up with two? Well, I told her, he got most of your DNA, let's not push him. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah, next yeah. one's just going to be stabbing him and hitting him with stuff when he's not looking, so let's just leave it at where it's at. So know? the move to Florida, yeah, what what part of Florida did you live Orlando, in? Orlando, Florida. Uh, so not even... It's sort of in the. It's kind of landlocked. Yeah, it's weird. It's not Fort Lauderdale. It's not no beach. No weirdness. It's just well, there's weirdness. Yeah. Oh, there's a dark undercurrent where Mickey lives, my friend. How does that manifest itself? All of Florida is a fucking Florida. My buddy Kevin Rogers used to say that Florida is the do-over state. No matter what you did (laughs) atrociously in your life, (laughs) if you move to Florida and get into real estate, you can just start over. You think? Yeah. So that just means you have a bunch of you have borderline and full-on criminals and all people not running bags. yeah it's <laughs> yeah. a carl hyacin novel down yeah, well, without a doubt yeah and uh and so um you know you got all that tourism happy smiley stuff but underneath that you got a you got a good cast of lunatics running through well, there's a weird there. mix of just sort of like like almost like transient southern rednecky kind of stuff and yeah, then, then you get the people that, guys from jersey right the people it's that move there to live weird. the dream and then mm-hmm. the people that are just sort of end at the end of their rope or right. at the end of their life it's a weird mix <laughs> and then you got the latin yeah. contingent yeah it's yeah. just i i'm it's, fascinated it's, with it it's definitely a cook Cookpot. Yeah, my mother. My mother lives down there. Yeah. So we. So I went. I started out down there in high school, and um, we were a group that, uh, like, where we lived was a, a broke area called yeah. uh, Union Park. And I went to Winter Park High School, which was a very nice high school at the time. And we were like that. Sco- you know how each high school kind of scoops out one group of poor kids so they can get their, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, their their, their sympathy or their extra yeah. budget. We were that group. We got them. So it's like, yeah, yeah. You know, just you're 15 and you walk into a place where kids have BMWs and- Oh, know, so you were like the bust like, in oh, kids? Ah man, we're the breakfast club. Yeah. And we're literally, ah oh, like, man. <laughs> you were like, see, we- st- Like a fat bender walking around in this place. What am I doing? So you guys were like the scrappers? Yeah, we were in, we got in some mix-ups when we were younger. With my, the rich my, kids? My brother more than me no believe it or not um more with the rednecks than the rich kids the rich kids just kind of looked at us like a nuisance yeah 
But I don't know what this was. It started in like ninth grade when I was down. It was when you moved down from up north. It yeah. Was, it was a, you Yankee. Oh, that I'm really? Like, what year are we in? I like, even at that age, I knew, oh, yeah. you're just dumb. Yeah. You don't have any. Right. <laughs> there's, <laughs> yeah. there's nothing snapping in your head right yeah. now. You lost it? that one. Yeah. A long so, time ago. So we just, we got in some scrapes. Really? I, I lost more than I, than I won. You know, it's ironic. You were fighting the Civil War when you were. Literally, yeah. for no reason. I got a blue coat on and a bayonet and some of that hard bread you eat. <laughs> but I um I, I actually got a, a good reputation in high school for for a beating I took more than I get. I only got in a couple fights. Yeah. But I got a better rep for taking a beating than I did for Really? Yeah, like this one dude just beat me to death out in the hallway, but somehow I stood up, I didn't cry. You know, and I walked down the hall like I was unaffected. And it had this weird effect because this kid smoked me. I mean, he like drove my head into a locker. He was going to crush my head in the Who door. Who started it? I, uh, I, I don't know. I probably did something with my mouth. I probably yeah, said sure. something. Yeah. And that's probably that's how it do. escalated. Exactly. Yeah. But then the toughest kid in the school came looking for me, this yeah. kid, Dale. Yeah. And this is a kid that, like, by 11th grade, he already had the story of, like, he bit off a dude's finger yeah. and he's got 32. You know, he's just yeah, yeah, yeah. the cop shot front waiting to take him to jail after graduation. Right, right. And he came looking for me. He's like, oh, you're tough. I was like, oh, no, man. No, I got I got nothing to do with that. <laughs> I don't think that you saw your title, bro. I want nothing to do with that. Yeah, I just took a hit, man. But everybody left me alone after a beating I took, not I gave. And I thought that was pretty funny. It's pretty good. I think the key was not crying. Uh, I don't Maybe no. I, I think that I was think it was key. just in so much shock. I yeah, didn't muster just, any emotion. Yeah, the, you know? the idea was to just walk, walk off and walk. Just walk. <laughs> get somewhere alone so you can you can weep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I whimpered when I got home. Exactly. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to be a guy who can take a hit. You know, what, well, if what, you're going to be in this business. Well, exactly. Exactly. I think that's all of it. It's a, you know, fighting's yeah. one thing, but being yeah. able to sort of uh, shoulder the burden of disappointment. Yeah. That's yeah. the real trick. Yeah. So, so you're in high school. Are you working? I'm in high school. I'm uh, working at night to help support my family. And it was then, that. Um, it was that situation. Yeah, I was like, you know, I'd I'd go to work probably from four to midnight. I worked at a place called Zares, which was like the precursor to Target. Zares wasn't that? Oh, it was a department so, yeah, store. Yeah, and I was a guy in the back loading pallets. That was uh -huh. that was my gig. And then I'd give my mom my paycheck, and then I'd you know. And she uh, did she use it well? It wasn't a no, no no. She bought shoes and said her friend Cynthia gave them to her from work. But that's all right. It's my mom. You know what I mean? <laughs> but we did what we had to do. You know, and uh, you know it was me, my brother, yeah. my sister, and uh, and um, how old are they? How much? They're, they're four years younger than I was. Bo both I, of them are they're twins. Am. Yeah, they're really one, one minute apart. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and they're all right. No, they're nuts too. <laughs> they're nuts too. And it, you know, it's funny. <laughs> the whole family's nuts, but for somehow I don't know some reason we keep surviving. Well, I'm yeah, but I'm pretty mean, proud I, of that. Well, know? yeah. Well, well, nuts do all right. Yeah, I guess right. You know what yeah, I mean? You yeah. just don't hear about the nuts surviving. The, the yeah. nut story is uh, always like, what happened to that guy? <laughs> so, it's always, you know, nuts persist. Yeah. <laughs> we do persist. Yes. There's yes. no doubt about it. So you're doing that, uh, the the heavy lifting? The, the yeah, I was, I, and I, I wanted to be a comic since I was nine years old. That I was it, I yeah. just always knew. And I and I started Who with- Who was it? What, what planted that seed? It was all the Holy Trinity. Um, uh, the Who's yours? The records. It was Carlin, it was Pryor, and it was Cosby. That's pretty and good, Trinity. That's that's the Those were the records that were around me. And yeah. Then, and then on the fringes was Bob Newhart. Although I knew I was never going to be that smart. Uh-huh. You know, I love listening to Bob Newhart and uh, the Lampoon albums. 
the Lemmings album, the Chong Chongs. Albums, they, the they, they, that was I got all of them. You got them all. I just and thank you by the way for the Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. I got, I got. I'm starting to build my vinyl collection of comedy. I got a couple of Steve Martins and a Carlin. First one I bought was AMFM because that was the one. Yeah, yeah, of course. I heard that. And I was Class like, Clown what? was mine. What is this guy yeah, doing? Yeah. You know, what? What? How do you yeah. talk like yeah. that? Yeah. And then uh, you're very anal, and you write it all down. Yeah, that's man. how he did it. And then, and then the the uh, the Cosby the storytelling. Uh, yeah, how he that, could just I'll tell you, man. The storytelling blew me away. That you know? one changed my life recently. Yeah, really. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you know, within three years. I mean, I just did a special for Netflix, right. and at some, like a couple years ago, you know, I sat down with Bill Cosby myself, wow. and, and I never. Like, I, you know, sometimes, you know, you listen to all these guys and what you integrate, who the hell knows? You know, yeah. you know, you want to be funny, but it, as funny as you are and as funny as I am, the thing is, we don't really sound like anybody else, but we cite these people as our influences. Absolutely. Like, I, I don't, I never, like, aspired to be anybody right. or even copped a, a tone, really, but right. there were certain cats that made me laugh. Yeah. But the thing about watching Cosby myself was I just had this moment where I'm like, he's deciding what's funny. He's not freaking out. No, he's, he's not, not he, terrified to go he, into right, it. He's, he's going to decide this is a funny story, and, and I'm going to go with right. it. Right, and yeah. I, like for some reason, I'm like, I can decide. Yeah. I don't have to. I still have trouble with that. Right, I don't I have to freak out. still to this day have trouble with Isn't that. Isn't it weird, though? Yeah. Because yeah. you're a funny guy. At some yeah. point, you have to accept you're a funny guy, and like, I'm going to decide what's funny. Yeah. And if they don't like it, well, I, I did what I could. And the man... <laughs> The minute I think that I'm a funny guy, then I think, oh, you're being an arrogant dick. Don't think well, that. Well, yeah, I'm, I, I, I felt weird saying that just then. I mean, I, 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 I know. <laughs> See, I'm not alone. That's no, good. no, no, no. I mean, like, I, I have to, I think at some point, mm. uh, you, you know, we can give it to ourselves a little bit. A little bit. I think you have to, to mature to the next level. Or just I, to not beat yourself up all the fucking time. Right. Exactly. Because that gets exhausting. And then nothing's funny anyway. I am... Um, you know, I heard a. I, I, you were talking about copping the tones. I, I think I probably copped two tones when I was younger. One was Bill Hicks, and I. When that I, was a hard one. I was to like not 19, I was like, it. I just can't be this guy. I'm you never going to be this cool, this angry. I just can't. But what it gave me was, it gave me that his, his that early metamorphosis gave me like, I, I would never take any material ever. But but, I, but I did take some of his cadence when you I was young because I was nineteen. I you didn't know it was so contagious. Yeah, man, and I just wanted to be that cool. And then I, I I came to a quick realization that I'm like, this is not your story. But the the confidence with which this guy delivered a line, well, was also blew me exactly. Away. That was it wasn't yeah, so much blew me it, away. Like I didn't know if he was cool or not, but there like his delivery system. That, you know, the way it kind of rolled, yeah. you know, like sleep yeah. tight, you know, like yeah, he, and he had, he had that thing, thing. And, and, that and, could pop. And then when he would go from dark to goofy, I really, oh, yeah. I enjoyed, what are you doing, Bill? You know, I enjoyed all that, who wants sausage? All that stuff. I love that. And then I noticed that in Carlin. Too. Yeah. Carlin could be biting and, and that kind of made me open up to, I don't want to be one kind of comic. Right. I don't mind being a storyteller. If I need a one-liner, I want to be able to say a one-liner. If I want to be angry, I can be angry. But it's all the I one thing. I want to stay. Some guys like, there are some cats that just like to get, okay, this is my thing. This yeah. is what I do. I'm just going to do that. And that's okay. Yeah, I don't understand. But I wanted to roam. I wanted to be able to do whatever I needed to do. But the, the thing that know? people don't understand is once you start to integrate that stuff, you know, like if somebody starts drawing lines between yeah. storytelling and stand-up, that's bullshit. You're done for. Well, right. no, but it's just well, it's just bullshit because, you know, now there's a storytelling thing. All right, so now, <laughs> so like that's happened. You yeah. got the moth and you got, yeah. you know, This American Life and you have people that aren't stand-ups telling stories. Right. So now that's part of the culture. Yeah. So now people come back to people like me or you 
and say like, well, he's a he's not really a comic; he's a storyteller. It's like that is stand up. Yeah, that is stand up. Yeah. I mean, there's a difference between a comedian, a guy yeah. who does one liners, and a stand up comic. You listen to any of the stand up comics that do long form; they're going to do some version of stories. I, agree. I mean, even Carlin. You know, on on class clown, you know, like leading up to the seven words or before that about being in Catholic school. Yeah, I mean, it's all a story, absolutely. But it's just they're jokes within it. I think that the, the marketing guys just need a they need to be able to make a file set. They can't just say this guy's good or this guy's not good. Or stand up is stand up. This guy or didn't enjoy this guy. Funny's funny. Fun. It's not funny. It's not funny. But the, but I get I get a little. I still get a little fucking. You know, I get a little uh, <laughs> uh, territorial and defensive about people who call themselves stand ups. That you know, either you know, just did it twice, yeah. or have eight minutes, or yeah. tried it once, yeah. or or people that have never been paid to do it, you yeah. know. And I and I have a problem with you know with actually with with storytellers right. who are not stand ups and right. they're using it's it's fine, but I mean you know when we when you, you and I started, yeah. There was a the, the system so was, it was very definite. Yeah, the system was you go hang out at the dumb club. Yeah, and, and you, you wait to get funny. You right. try to go last. Right, you, get, you go or, hang out at the you dumb club. And open you try mics, to go last. You wait yeah. till you get your fucking guest spot. Yeah, and yeah. then like you'll or maybe your get, MC spot. Right, you for get the to weekend. open. Right. Yeah. And th- those were the hoops. There was yep. no sort of like I'm going to go down to that uh, to no. that department store where they're having a stand up show in the basement because <laughs> some kid thinks it's cool. <laughs> no. It no. didn't exist. And it was a very, well, there was a different time back then, too, because, I mean, even the club owners kind of policed the room, you know, and they, they, you had to be good enough to get on stage, and then you had to kind of do your own thing. Well, that was the, called on it. That was know? the first, that was the first uh, hoop to get through was the fucking Napoleon who operated the club. Yeah, if, he, who, if you could get the MC spot, the coveted MC spot, the first one for me was Bonkers in Orlando in 1987. It paid 20 bucks a night, whether there was one show or three. And then, uh, who were you opening for? Uh, now, see, that was the great part. That when I started, the guys that were headlining, it was when comedy was really, really hot. I the mean, eight, it was yeah, like, late eighties. Yeah, because it was like Slayton was coming right, through right, town, right. And, and that was and, when it was Creed the big and Rogerson and Kenny. just these guys that crushed it, and you were like, "What the fuck are the? How are they doing that? Who are man? those guys? Yeah, and they would just be these." charismatic nuts what, what happened like, to ben I want to be a part of that guy he's doing great oh good he just did a he just did a show he did a road dog show for me which is a I show just watched, I just watched well no I just watched the first one and I'm like hey, we'll talk about it a little more in depth yeah. because you know like Kenny he's was real important to me oh me yeah. too man me too I, I had him on just, a live I, one how do you do that I, I started in Boston and he's one of those guys that if you're on the way to the gig he'll come up with 20 minutes he's fucking, like really there's dude, no one funnier than really that guy. that's just not fair he just had a timing do that yeah you saw Dick Farmer's Harley Davidsons, and now you have twenty minutes. Right, that's not fucking fair. <laughs> yeah, he did. He was great. He is yeah, great. Yeah, I had him is. on a live WTF in Boston. I was so thrilled to have him because he, when I was in college doing open mics for the first time, you know, before I really committed to comedy, I just remember one night where like he was hosting one, and uh, you know there was like fifteen dudes <laughs> on. It was it played against Sam's in the basement. He's hosting the open mics. You know, local dudes, a Boston team. They were right. coming in, and I'm waiting. And I'm like way down on the list, and Kenny's getting drunk, and he's just like, and you know, by the time like I had the same experience with him, yeah, and, yeah, and that you know, and you're just sitting there waiting and partying when you're at that level. You're like, sure. no, I don't really want to go on. No. As each as each audience member leaves, why am I doing this? Yeah, like what was fuck, I it's thinking? Gonna, this is gonna yeah. suck. There's no one left, <laughs> yeah. and he fucking forgot. He forgot to bring me up. I waited there for three hours. He got shit-faced, closed the show, and I was uh, like, I was supposed to go. And he's like, no, oh, no. I'll worry about yeah, it. You're all right. You're all right. I got to go. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I always love that guy. Music is, uh, 
music was a big thing for me that connected to comedy, man. Yeah. Yeah, I always, I heard this interview with, um, and this, we're just talking about tones and stuff and how to find your voice. I heard this great interview with Santana. Yeah. And it stuck with me. And um, he said, look, everybody has to play the same notes, but it's how you play those notes. I play an E, but you can tell Keith Richards E. You can tell Pete Townsend. That's absolutely, that's that's how you tune your guitar. And that took the pressure off me having to worry about being anybody else. Well, I was that's like, you know what? I'm just going to find the way I, what I think about these things. What upsets me? What doesn't upset well, me? Yeah. What I like, what I don't. Well, what once basically yeah. it's like, uh, you know, I play guitar and it took me a long time to realize that, uh, you know, once you get the basics, yeah. it's up to you. Right. I mean, you can definitely right. play like someone else, but the difference between a guy who's just, you know, f- hasn't found his groove yeah. and someone who has is they just keep pushing. You just that's it. And you gotta find the way you tune your guitar. And then that that was a that was a cool thing for me. And that helped me take the pressure off having to be like anybody else. And then I could just be myself. Well know, yeah, well you, you gotta right. You gotta stop thinking about it. But like it usually it doesn't it's not that clear of a, of a thought process. It's sort of like uh you, you go through a lot of like how the fuck is that guy oh, doing that? No, it takes you know? a long time, man. It takes <laughs> then, a long time. You, you know, because yeah. it's it's the constant comparison of that guy. How the oh, fuck? Is, fuck it. Well, I yeah. think the default position from the fear that comes with doing this is whenever you see the first guy do good, it's fuck him. Yeah, fuck that guy. Oh god. Oh, he's fucking horrible. Ugh. And then you would yeah. meet somebody who was more evolved than you and just unaffected by it which is the right way to be and they'd be like no i think it's great to fuck them and fuck you too yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what oh, are you yeah. talking about or the day, it the, makes no difference what are you doing you know, know? remember the first night the middle handed you your ass uh, yeah. oh man you I were probably you, one of those middles i was for a long time dude i was i was that guy for a long time and i'm not saying i had any great act my presence has always been way better than my act yeah. always but i was always a likable guy on yeah, stage right and man, I made some headliners mad. But here was here was something Creed taught me, and this was yeah. really really cool. Yeah, he said you're blowing a guy away, and this is back when the club owner was actually in the club, so right? That, so that you could get a job. Yeah. If the if the headliner was cool, and he came up and said, "Hey, man, you know you're killing me this back week. Up a you know, bit. back up. Do me a, a favor. You know, stop." And some of them would even go, "You know what? Let me go talk to the owner with you and say, you know what? You need to bring this kid into co-headline or something. Yeah. Or give him his own week yeah. on a slow week because yeah, I can't take this fucking shit. murdering me. Those were the guys that I loved. <laughs> but if but if the guy came off and then I would pull back, I would yeah. set the table very nice. I would pull back out of respect. Yeah. But if the guy came off stage and he had laughing ears and they would just be getting angrier at you about your act, like yeah. I don't know why I, I, they're laughing at you. Yeah. Oh, real? oh yeah. well, now I'm gonna. I'm just gonna pour gas on you all week now. <laughs> now you have to pay for being a dick. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have to do this. I have to cleanse you. <laughs> but if they were cool, I always pulled back. Yeah. Always. But I remember there was a kid that handed me my ass in uh, where was it? Columbus, Ohio. Who? I can't even remember the kid's name. I, but I just remember just panic all week. And I was like, buddy, I go, I don't know what you're trying to prove. You've, you, you got me. It's, it's a five game set. Yeah. You're up three nothing. You know, give me, <laughs> let me get one off here. You I know? guess that's your payback. Uh, isn't it? Of course. Of course it is. You got to settle into that chair, man. I'll tell you who dusted me one time. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, remember, uh, remember Michael Roof Chicken? Yeah. I followed him one time in Toledo. And what yeah. a nightmare. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's coming out and. You that know. was right. That was his moment. Though. It was like when he was just, yeah. I mean, it was crazy. It was like car no. horns and sounds no. and the Lone Ranger. Can't, and, uh, you know. yeah. I can't, I don't, I can't. Sad. Indulge. 
that yeah that he killed himself sad that he killed it's horrible himself. Yeah, yeah yeah but I, he he really he made my week a nightmare that was just like that was an extra jameson week but uh, <laughs> but that was but that was one of those stories where you know he got a lot of attention mm-hmm. about something very specific and um and then you know he couldn't follow you know like you can't live up to what the hype well, you yeah, but, started, well, yeah. well i mean it's but it's it's manufactured hype and then there's sort of like a little feeding frenzy that, and then nothing you, happens it, don't you think that happens in degree though with every comic that comes oh, no, to no, la no, and gets seen no 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 like, it happens it, like, all the time but i mean like it lights up and it lights up to different degrees it lights up a little it lights up a lot with a development deal but then it just goes away well you and got, then it's you like gotta, can you settle in right you gotta you, yeah. you've gotta keep going back right yeah like if you want to do that no there are yeah. dudes like you know that i've had in here and dudes i've known you know i've seen guys go up and then you know come down yeah. and then disappear but i've seen guys go up and come down and then come back stronger yeah. you know like kevin hart bill yeah. burr i yeah. mean there are cats that, i think you know, burr is the best guy doing it right now yeah he's my favorite right yeah now. he's great i just watch him and i go ah shit I'm, yeah i'm lazy I'm lazy, man. I'm lazy. You know, that makes me angry. No, you guys are just- I watch uh, his act and I laugh and I'm angry at myself the whole time. Well, that's good. That's good. Well, you guys are- He's an inspirational kind of guy to me. Well, you're different degrees of crankiness. You both- It is, but I just love the fact that he's always on it. He's always working it. He's always- I've gotten- I've gotten- I feel like, you know that scene in Rocky Three. Yeah. When Mickey tells him that all the fights he's been having have been thrown, you know? uh-huh. <laughs> he's like, the worst thing that ever could have happened to you happened. You got civilized. <laughs> and that's how I feel now, man. I've been forcing myself to go do these open mic nights just to, to get hungry again. Because you lean on, you know, you go out now and because of the TV show, you go out and there's 1,500 people and they're there to see you. And man, it's really hard to not lean on old material that you know is going to kill. And then you get that double voice going that yeah. every comic has where you're actually doing your act and, and in the back of your head, you go, I hate you. Yeah. I hate this bit. Yeah. You're a fake. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I've been trying to go to these open mic nights again where there's 12 people in there with you know, no crutches and try to go back up and just start writing new jokes. Start start over from, from nothing. Well, I mean, you know, you, it, know? you know, see, it's interesting that you know, we we constantly compare ourselves to, to the guys that are, you know, at the peak of their game or, or, or yeah. whatever are, are still in it. But, you know, it's you, the only way to stay alive. No, it's a way know? to stay alive. But, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, your, your show is very successful. Right. You know, Mike and Molly is very right. successful. And, uh, you know, you can kind of do what you want and, and, and lay back a little bit and have a life. But I love that there's some party that's no, like, it's I got to tour. But listen, God I was, damn it, I, I gotta, yeah, dude, I was on stage. <laughs> I went over, I went up at 1130 at night at yeah. Chow Christina over across from Warner Brothers. Yeah. And I was on stage, no material. I just needed to do four minutes. There's six people in the audience. And I I admitted to them. I go, I'm sorry. I go, I'm sorry I'm here, but I need your acceptance. Apparently something in me. I go, if you look out the window, you can see my poster. It's right there on Warner Brothers. But I still got to make sure that there's six people here at 1130 that think I'm funny. Uh, And it's that that keeps us. You can't escape it. Why don't you start coming around the comedy store on the weeknights? You know what? I'm not a comedy store guy or an improv guy. I never have been. No, but you know, I don't don't go the improv because I don't like them. But the the comedy store is... uh, it's dirty. It's dark. It's like and, Dracula's and, big. Top yeah, but over but there. it's like no no one. The industry don't go there. It doesn't. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, just, its own it's just world. It's a real room, right? It's a real room. That's what I like. I just it's want to real try, room. try jokes. But you know? the thing about the store is that they run. They, they don't do the bringer show in the OR. The original room every right. night, straight up showcase night. Twelve, you know, twelve thirteen minute sets. Really, and bang one after the other. You got. You should really. I mean, see, I recommend it because I don't go the Laugh Factory. I don't go the Improv. I have a personal problem with the Improvs because <laughs> I don't feel like I owe them anything. Right. They certainly didn't fucking help me. No, man. I but, was told when I first got here to put my name in the jar. Yeah. And uh, n- 
now they're like, you want to come by? Nah. But the comedy store is really is its own planet. Yeah. And really? uh, yeah, the, the reason I'm saying this to you, you know, I'm sort of landlocked here. Right. And I'm like, because I got to process shit. Yeah. You know, I'm going on, I'm going on, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm going on weeknights it's to so the original fair. room. Once you get over that initial fear of that new boy that becomes so but you need a place where you can work it so addictive you need a place to sort of work it yeah and the comedy store is the only in my mind it's the only anonymous set you can do because no one fucking goes there so you know people their audiences (laughs) yeah but the industry is like nah i'm kind of not gonna and it's important you that's i think where you got to go find it that's the only place you can and they run a straight show what do i got to do yeah i don't even work for the place but if you want to work out shit like i feel bad that you're going across the street i kind of like that no i know i like i like that i want to know I want to know that if I can go in there and grab a laugh or two, then then I know the joke's okay. Then I know it's okay to continue working on it. Yeah, and but then, then you like, gotta, I would take that to the store. Yeah, and then that's you go back tomorrow, do. and yeah. then you got to go back the next day. You got to yeah. you know get you into it. But see, that's my problem. I what I don't have the time to do it every day. I don't have the time. What I got? Where do you live? I live in Studio City. So but you don't so have got, to, a, got a wife, a kid. I get it. You know all that stuff. No, I get it. So it's it's hard to do it. So what I like? Well, is, let's say ten o'clock. Kids asleep. Oh, Mark, I'm asleep by 10 o'clock. <laughs> I told right. you, I got right. civilized. I understand. That's horrible. I'm just trying, I'm just trying to get you a new o'clock. chunk. I'm trying to get and you a new chunk. Right. I need a chunk. I do. <laughs> I need it. It's horrible. I wander around my house you screaming one at chunk, myself. Dude. One chunk. chunk. Five minutes. Yeah, you get a new chunk in five minutes. It'll chunk. light up all the other shit. It does. I it know. Does. You write the first one and then they all fall yeah. into place. I know it. But yeah, I do. I need to. I need to find that time in my life because I use a lot of excuse of I'm working late or I don't have the. Oh, there's no time, and it's just bullshit. And you really don't feel that uh, you know when you go out and do the big shows uh, that you, you don't find that that little that area in the middle where you can drop a new one because you, you you're because I've watched you and you know and I and the the road comic shows I think is a very a lot of heart in that show thanks. to get those guys out there yeah thanks. because a lot of people forget that there are comics out there just doing the job that's it and uh, and you don't know who they are but they've been out there a long but time great. and no they're great yeah. Exactly. And and like I knew it right away when I watched it. I think yeah. I probably watched the first one. Was Earthquake the first one? Uh, Earthquake. That was the second one. So the I watched that one. one. Was, the first one was Ben Creed, Kenny Rogers, and Tim Wilson. So these are guys crazy. that like I know, right? Have been out there forever, yeah. but you know, but po- the culture doesn't know it. Right. But those are the guys that do the real job, and I knew that's right. what you were doing. And that's exactly what I was going for. And in fact, we were talking about Rodney earlier. That's why I wear that red tie because these shows are like a nod to that young comedian special. So, uh-huh. You know, they said young comedians, but he was breaking guys that were ten. I mean. There's always an exception to the rule, but sure. most of them guys and girls were 10, 15 years in. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Were they? Yeah, oh, yeah. Some of them? Yeah, yeah a lot yeah. of them were. A lot of them. I think Roseanne was an exception to the rule, but Seinfeld had been in 10 years. Hicks had been in 10 years. Dice had been in 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's, and it takes that long to so, kind of really be good at it. So where does uh, Chicago play into you? Chicago, I lived there for two years before I came out to Los Angeles. Oh, so and, you were uh, a Florida guy the whole fucking time you're, no, when you I were did, developing? No, I started in Florida. I lived in Florida from 87 to 91. Then I lived in New York in 91 and 92. What, so you were a feature by the time you left Florida? Yeah, 
Yeah, and then you went to New York track. and got beaten up, got crushed, just got killed. No, there's a like once you get like just once, got crushed, like, just once, crushed. Yeah, because you're yeah. doing the you're doing a real club and you, you got yeah. some juice and you're yeah. doing twenty twenty five and yeah. then you're like get online. Yeah. This is the showcase room. <laughs> you yeah. better punch it out in ten minutes yeah. or you're I, fucking over. Yeah, I got crushed in New York. It was very humbling. Like what happened? Well, I just I, I really sucked for a long time in New York, but I, but I learned the middle ground because I think I was doing stuff like when you start in Florida, you're doing stuff that's. You have mainstream audiences that are a little more forgiving. New York audience was tougher. Yeah. And the spots I was getting, yeah. you know, I was getting the 1 a.m. at Dangerfields or the, you know. Is that where you the, met Creed? The, the 12.30, exactly. Creed's I met, met him in the green guy. room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a Dangerfield guy. Uh, yeah, and 12.30 at the stand-up New York and mm. and then whatever, you know, Tony Camacho or. or Rascals, uh, or, going yeah, out to Rascals. Yeah, or even worse, the one-nighters like Chester Drawers oh, for yeah, Rick Morgan yeah. and all those crazy What was the other guy? Yeah. Roger Paul. Roger Paul, oh, RPA. Yeah. There yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. So doing all that, and then I left New York after 92, and I went to Florida again to recover for a year, because I had no idea what <laughs> I was going to do. punch drunk. Yeah. And then maybe I, went, I don't know how to do this. I don't. No, exactly. That was the whole year of, you know, man, maybe maybe college don't look so bad. <laughs> yeah. And then I went to um, Atlanta for two years. Yeah. And met my manager and uh, Chris Depetta. Yeah, and then he's I, an important guy. He is a good dude, man. Like and he's a, you know, he's a, he's he's, he's the last, one. he's the last of that cut. Man. He is, man. He's the last of that. Yeah, cut. He's, he's, a, he's, he's been like a dad to me. He's yeah, no, he's a good guy, man. Yeah, he's a solid cut. He's still one of the few guys that's on the comic side. Yeah, what I mean, there's only a couple of those. There's uh, not those, many of those guys. Left. Well, the Mavericks exactly. that uh, that sort of like you know kind of bet on a couple of horses. Yeah, long yeah, shots. Yeah, I tell them you love long shots. Yeah, I, you know, well, those guys, you know, great. ultimately at the end of the day, you know, yeah, the guys that run their own shop, they're willing they, to go with you the distance. Well, they and also they can sort of be like, no, I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, you know, I got, yeah. got Billy. <laughs> you know what I mean? What they got? Well, they got to be part of some big machine. Well, what do I, right, right, right. It's like Polly and Goodfellas. What do I know about making a restaurant? I don't, I don't know. I'm going to see. I'll call you. Yeah. And he's, he was great, man. He was very, very instrumental in helping me more even in life than in comedy. Really? How yeah. so? How, because like, well, that Chris relationship. Well, Chris found me, man, and I was really, I was kind of out of my mind. And, uh, you know, he when he first met me, he said, call me in a year. Because he, when you live in Florida and you're working in Atlanta, yeah, and I had worked the punchline. Yeah, back then, if you got the punchline on your resume, immense on it was a big well, club. You could work. You could feature all the other clubs right. if you could get that one. Right. So I worked up there, and he saw me, and he goes, uh, he goes, uh, he goes, you got great presence. Your act is shit, though. Like, okay, <laughs> man, thanks. Can I get my six hundred bucks? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you call me in a year? Let me yeah. see where you're or at. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't think about it. And yeah. A year later, I called him, and he came, and he came up, and he saw my act, and it had changed, and. He said, okay, I think we can do something. Uh-huh. And he started to manage me. And then I stayed in Atlanta for a couple of years and then uh, into Chicago for a year or two because he kept begging me to move to L.A. Yeah. And I was like, ah, I'm not moving to L.A. And then uh, and I think that was just fear at the time. Yeah. And finally, I came out here in about 97. Tell me about Chicago because, you know, the... The Chicago scene has generated a lot of a, a lot of younger guys, but like for some reason, I associated with Chicago. What happened in Chicago for you? Well, you know, I, actually, it was a nightmare. I couldn't get booked there. Uh-huh. I couldn't. I, I, something would always come up. I always got a lot of love at Zanies. Yeah, and this was back when you could run do three sets in a like there was the Funny Firm. Zanies, and then uh, I, don't, I don't know what else was out there. There was something else, a barrel full of laughs, yeah. just on the outskirts. But I love that city. I just love being there. And again, my buddy Kevin Rogers lived there, so to me that was a great idea. I was right. just going to live near my buddy Kevin. Right. And he had, you know, some places you just end up in and it just works. 
And some places you just can't seem to get in the door anywhere. And I couldn't get in the door anywhere other than Zany's. Right. But I stayed there because I loved the city. My brother was living there. And so I just thought, you know, I'll be around here for yeah, a while. Because I, you know, I did a similar thing. You know, you go chasing this thing down. You know, like I started like officially in Boston and then I went to New York and that crapped out on me. Right. Then I went to San Francisco and then I got a gig in New York. So I went back to New York. I always thought then, the smart comics ended up in San Francisco. Guys well, like you, Rhodes. Well, there was like a, all the cats that, all the guys that you went over their house in the afternoon and they went you ever read this book yeah and you're like no like, all right thanks but like all those guys always gravitated to sam frank well by the time you know i went I, mean? I was a second generation out because that's sort of what it was but that, were, you were the guys who were like you ever hear well yeah no, no, i never you're heard right. of that no yeah, you're right check this out that's right you and know that's that, when, how you found cool shit you know? well that, the thing that san francisco offered like having spent a few you know a couple years in new york just pounding my head against the wall and not being able yeah. to cut you know get time yeah you know i was starting out my guys you know who my peers at that time in New York were like, you know, Louie and Attell and DePaulo, Todd Berry. Wow. Uh, wow, you know, and, a good group. Well, yeah, but like Louie and Attell and DePaulo were working uptown at Catch, and I couldn't fucking crack that nut, and I couldn't yeah. get in the cellar, and I couldn't get in anywhere but the old improv as yeah. it slowly fell into the ground. You know, <laughs> just sinkhole. It, it was just silver going, Mark, when, when, why aren't you coming, you know, yelling at you? and. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in Boston Comedy Club, so eventually, right. you know, I started. You know, I was sober when I went out there for the. I think that was the first. Yeah, the first time I got sober, or the second time, mm-hmm. and I was there about a year, dry as fuck. Right. And uh, you know, but, and, uh, that was fun. Huh? Yeah, and then uh, you know, eventually, <laughs> I started fucking. You know, like, this ain't working out. Right. And right sure. when I started using again, I'm like, I gotta get out of here. Mm-hmm. So I got loaded, and I fucking gave away all my shit, packed right. up my car, and drove to San Francisco. That's and a good idea. Dumped my ass a on, a, on a woman's doorstep saying, remember me? Can I live here? <laughs> I'm a poet. Yeah. Let me in. That's right. <laughs> but that, that was the thing about San Francisco is it, it, was, it was very encouraging of indulgence. Yeah. Yeah. That you know you were really able to find your voice because right. for some reason the community there you know really supported you know very sort of you know self involved mm-hmm. riff style comedy yeah. and you kind of you 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 had a, a wide berth you had a home for that right and when I moved there it was like long after the the you know the the first generation of the guys you, you know uh, were gone I moved there it was sort of after the eighties. Well, you know, like 92, so comedy was hurting. Yeah, and we, it was me. That's when we went into the depression. Right, and yeah. it was me, Patton, and Blaine. I'm a big fan of Patton Oswalt. Yeah, yeah, he's great. That, that guy, if if there's a such a bridge between, and I hate to use the word, I, I don't believe in the alternative comedy or any of that stuff anymore. Yeah. You're either funny or you're not to me. Right. You know what I mean? But but if there is a true bridge between, like, uh, guys, what I do yeah. and, and alternative comedy, I think... Well, Patton is the example of that. Well, Patton's exactly that can, guy. He can go either way, yeah. man. Because and he crushes me when he gets off into one of, like you said, the indulgent riff, yeah, right? But then he can he can construct a great joke at the same. I mean, time. A very smart guy, but he's yeah. exactly the guy you're talking about. You yeah. ever read this book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, he, yeah. We worked in Raleigh, North Carolina <laughs> once. He's like, "Do you know? No, Patton. <laughs> you've asked me twelve <laughs> yeah, times. I, I, I have no idea what you're talking. Well, you're about. like a meat and potatoes guy. Yeah, I am very, very. <laughs> but to, and you embrace. I do. Well, that's what I had to figure out I was. That's where I went, you know what? This is what I am. Well, where did your insecurity take you when you didn't know you were that guy? I think I, like I said, I, was, I tried to be Hicks for a little while. I went through a Tom Rhodes phase for a little while, <laughs> but I, knew I couldn't wear those clothes. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm too fat. Apparently. I can't, I, can't, I can't get the shiny belt buckle yeah. Apparently, on. they yeah. don't tolerate as much bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. That's right. And then I went through a Creed phase. Creed was wonderful because he let me be him for a little while and then he said, all right, now you got to figure out who the fuck you are because I got to do my own shit. 
and uh, he really snapped me into you know what just be what you are mm-hmm. if, if you're this guy be this guy if you're the lucky guy be the lucky guy if you're the broken guy be the broken guy but embrace what you are because if you spend all your time trying to be something else you're never going to get it you're just going to be a cover band for it took the rest me 25 of years yeah. to sort of be comfortable with myself i think i was yeah. always me but it was never enough for me there's a version of me right you know, it, was a, it was a version hidden for me it was me but it was hidden behind the confidence of somebody else right well yeah, yeah. because you take the delivery system right yeah exactly so all right so you come to la in 97 yeah and what where, where were you at in your life i was headlining i was making and and man i'm not a guy i'm not very smart business wise <laughs> none just, of us are like i but especially our generation our yeah. our, our wave of yeah. kind of, like i think i was eight years in loaded yeah. at a bar when i heard development deal yeah what, what what's that <laughs> just two guys from la talk well where do you get that yeah where do i go to <laughs> so when i got out here it was very humbling when i got to la i did kind of a similar thing i moved out here with my buddy joe and uh we literally took whatever the car would you know, we left an apartment full of furniture because yeah. that seemed like a good idea. He's a comic? Yeah, he is. He's, he's about seven years in now, but he's always Joe been who? a writer too, Joey O'Connell. He's uh-huh. a good guy. Take him on the road with me. Uh-huh. I'm trying to keep him under my wing. Good. But um, we uh, we took what the car would hold. We drove out to California. And, you know, you'd work 10 years to make your 1500 bucks a week. Yeah. And, and you get out here and it just doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you've done. No, you see, no one cares you, well, you what come you've out done. Here, right. You come out here, you see yeah. the entire history of comedy yeah. just doing the fucking- Yeah, we don't yeah. care. They yeah. get in line. Yeah. No one cares. Yeah. The All fact these guys have, are headliners. We love that you're good. Everyone yeah. else can do 45 too. So get in line <laughs> and uh, we'll see. We'll see. How about that? We'll see. Uh-huh. So yeah. But so. that must have been the second wave of the crush. Uh, because like, it you murdered got, me, dude. I thought New York, New York was bad. And then you come yeah. out, that, that first time you come uh, to LA and you don't know the score, uh, and you you just go to the improv on any given night, and it's just like everybody you grew up worshiping, <laughs> kind of plowing through just trying to do minutes. eight minutes. Right. Exactly. And yeah. you're like, what is going on yeah. out here? No, yeah. no, no one's important. Yeah. For the first six years I was out here, I would go up at the improv on showcase nights that Chris would put together, my manager yeah. would put together. <laughs> my record must have been... Might have been one in fifteen, but what? But just, what was it? Just terrible. But, I think I was in my own head about it. Number one, and number two, I was just so apt to fight that system instead of embrace what it was. As a road comic, you you know, it's really tough to cut down and put together a five minute set. That's impossible. It's really hard. It's like it's and part I had of the a... worst time with that. There was a couple times where I came off stage just screaming at the audience. I mean, I had a my first time at the improv, um, Chris put together this showcase and yes. he's got you know, that was back when the audience would sit in the front part and the and this the uh anybody like a curtain. Yeah, the, anybody would come from the industry would sit in the back. Yeah. And I I came wandering up on stage and lit a cigarette yeah and some guy from the back goes hey no smoking i yeah. go hey fuck you and that's how the set yeah. started yeah 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 i look over and depet has just got yeah. his hands in his face I, like I, what have i brought yeah. to hollywood a mental note was made on the other side <laughs> phone calls were made yeah. the next day who's this guy he's gardell he's just a dick yeah, yeah. Well, so, I mean, so it was it was a slow burn to come into Hollywood. Well, what's interesting you know? is that when you do long form and you're used to doing an hour, you yeah. know, it takes you 10 minutes to sort of find kind of get settled right, in. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So when you like, but you start to realize, as I'm sure you do now, that yeah. part of our job is to construct a five minute set. And if it you need to, is. that, it you know, you, you want to be on Letterman, you better figure out that part of the job. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You can't just kind of mosey up. You don't get it. Hey, how's everybody going? Yeah yeah. 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 And it took me a minute to figure that out. So 
But what I was just, it? Were you I, part of that first wave though? Was it because there was a wave there? Which ones? The the sort of like we need a new Jackie Gleason wave. There was Johnny Red Wilson. Was that this guy Red Will? Uh, he no, died too. I, there I, was like I, Kevin I James. I, Kevin James was on King King of Queens. Was just starting when I came out here. Right. And um, because you're sort of that type, right? Yeah, I'm definitely that type. And that was something else I figured out in Hollywood very quickly. I, I figured out a couple things that I think probably saved me out here. One was, okay, let's not get an agent. I, I figured out quickly that the stand-up game in L.A. is different than anywhere else. The stand-up game here is either to get an agent or to get a part, one of the two. Now, these days, there's not too many guys in there looking to make you a part of something. Anymore, right. But there are. it's the quickest springboard into an agency, which is going to get you an audition, okay? So I would quickly assess that if I can't act then getting the agent real quick, I'm going to get an audition, I'm going to get labeled a greenhorn, they're not going to look at me again for another four years. Yeah. So what I But did, they will look at you again. Right. They will as long as you hang in there. Yeah. So I, so I decided, me and Chris sat down and talked about this, and we decided here's what we're going to do the first two years we're in LA. I'm just going to go to acting class twice a week, three hours a night, and two weeks a month I'm going to go do stand-up, come back, barely make the rent at 600 a week, and then I'm going to come back here and just do acting. And then when I feel like I'm comfortable enough to be able to act or be able to read realistically, then we'll come back, we'll use the stand-up to get a shot at getting an agent. Holy shit, that's pretty organized. It, so you did that? It was really, yeah, it may have come to me on a mushroom trip, but it, it did settle in. How long me. did you do that? We For two straight years, I just worked on acting and doing stand-up. Really? Yeah, that was it. The, but, the, so the you, whole goal was to look at this in a different way, like, how what tool, what do we need to do here? And this was a lot to do with Chris, too. We sat down and said, all right, here's what we need. We need an agent. To get an agent, we need a good stand-up set. We got that covered. Once you get an agent, you're new. We want you to be able to book the gig. But if you can't read at a level where you're going to book the gig, then it's pointless to do this other thing. So let's get you to where you're comfortable reading in an audition, and then we'll use the stand-up to get... We'll use the stand-up to get an agent. So you took acting classes for two fucking... Two straight years, yeah. See, like, that's something I never did because... You that's know, that I'm, steel mill mentality. I go, okay, well, I got to outwork everybody. I'm not better looking than anybody. I ain't smarter than nobody, and I ain't richer than nobody. But I can't outwork you. Yeah. That's what I'll do. I'll go to work But you could have done anything. You could have just said, fuck this. I'm making 1500 It's going to go up. <laughs> Thought about yeah. it. Was too broke to leave. Twice in L.A. when I wanted to leave, the the, the ironic gift was I was too broke to leave. And that's what kept me. What, well, what made you hit the wall those times? I just couldn't take it, man. I couldn't take living here. I couldn't afford it. Every penny I made went to barely making the rent. The phone would get cut off. You know. What about the pride of seeing guys you may not respect like coming up? You know what? I, I got over that pretty quick. I got over that. I used to ride Carrot Top a lot, and then I realized what a sweet kid he is. You know yeah, what I mean? Not, it yeah, took me a long time. He's not the enemy. But, but that, this but guy's old. succeeding, you know? It's, and I realized that's my shit. And if you're, but if that's you're also working, road shit. It is road shit. It absolutely is. Because because we got nothing else to talk about but the fact that we're sitting in a fucking one-nighter getting loaded because we don't have anything else going on so that, so that guy sucks that poor guy it's like I, I interviewed him shit. and the, the like he had nothing to do with winning that it's award over over kid, a dead dude. bill hicks oh, that killed him yeah well, of that course killed. it did and you know what it shouldn't he's done what he's done he, and the he's guy's not happy. smoking money <laughs> at the luxor happy. and he's a, he's a sweet kid you know, it that, is what it is. Your journey is your journey. My point is, it has nothing to do with me. Exactly. And once I figured that out, I could navigate L.A. Right. Once I figured out what anybody else is doing, it doesn't matter. Here's my deal. I got it. What am I? I'm a blue-collar guy. I'm a dad. I'm a bad guy. I'm a nutty friend. I'm a neighbor. Okay, this is what I do. I'm going to stay this, and I'm going to get the best at this. Yeah. 
so that when that number comes up, I'm in the running. Because well, every month, like you said, it's a different flavor. Yeah. We're looking for the Hispanic crazy guy. We're we're looking for the black guy. We're looking for the but, Italian guy. We're looking for the, the woman. We're looking for the lesbian. We're looking for the gay guy. So when the blue collar guy comes up, I want to be, oh, well, you got to see Gardell. And, so they, and they will always come up. There you got it, man. We're, we're the middle of the country. <laughs> we're the middle of the country. There's fewer of you. Yeah, there ain't many of us left. <laughs> but, yeah, Everybody's but, very thin and yeah. very cool but now. The, but, but the archetype many uh, stays. We're, yeah, the well, idea. We resonate. We resonate sure, exactly because there's not much working class left in this country. That's right. So, That's right. But there's still the, we still resonate with 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 that personality. So you know, I'm watching uh, the road comics, and you know, at some point, you you know, you make uh, you make reference to at, at what point. How much did uh, did did drinking and, and party and play into the, your life? I was a. That's what I thought you were supposed to do. The first, the first. I started. Me too. Me I, too. <laughs> I started drinking at fourteen. Yeah, right. That's about the time. And then, getting guys yeah. to buy you booze outside of liquor Absolutely. stores. Absolutely. And then was, getting right in the car. And then I was the guy <laughs> yeah. that could buy it. Yeah. I was the by by sixteen. I could walk in and buy it. Nobody. You said knew anything. the guy. No, I looked like a giant. I looked yeah. like that monster that puts the star on the tree in that claymation <laughs> Christmas special. So. I started. I just thought that's what you did, man. I thought that was that was just how it was supposed to go. And then when I got into the clubs, all the guys that I thought were really funny were, were really fucked up. Yeah. And I was like, well, this obviously that's what you do. Part of the system. This is what you're supposed yeah. to do. Hey, absolutely. And so that 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 embraced me, and I and I embraced it, and I just went with it for a long, long time. You know. And what was uh, what what was the uh, the moment? Where you were like, Ugh. when I was done, yeah. my that uh, it happened five and a half years ago. Because yeah. I, I I I would put together times where did I it fuck your drinking. life up? Oh yeah. How yeah. in what way? Well, it almost cost me my marriage. It almost cost me my child. It uh, put me in the hospital twice. And with what? Well, one time I drank a, a whole. There's a little. Uh, there's like a little valve that covers your esophagus. Yeah. Closes and the food goes down to your stomach. Yeah, yeah. I burned a hole through that with whiskey. So, and wow. that was, I think, at 23. So Holy then, then shit. I was like, you know what? Maybe I should settle down. Yeah. So then I, I would just, I, I had that rotation of I would go two weeks without drinking and then drink to a blackout. That was like my idea. Yeah, I used to do, I was married to a yeah. woman that wouldn't tolerate it. And I'd like plan yeah. my drinking when yeah. I was going on the, the road. Planet, right. I'm like, uh -huh. oh, in, th in three weeks. Uh -huh. In three weeks, I'm going to. Well, I got to the point where at the, my son was four yeah. at the time. And it got so bad. Um, what was happening was I was I was sponsored by Jameson Whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you worked that out. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. I'm out there with Bevins, yeah. Steve Byrne, yeah. Nick Griffin, and me. Yeah. Nick's great. He's the best. Yeah. Dude. And they all are. I love all those nuts. And uh and the whiskey was just out of hand. And then they added Kreischer to the tour. Oh, and then boy. and then they added Michael Loftus. So you got just six <laughs> lunatics wandering yeah, around. Yeah. And I drank and drank, and that was became a nightly thing because we were on tour every week. Just so booze with you Wednesday through Sunday. Well, I, I did drugs earlier, but yeah. I, I'm a purist, man. Yeah. I would, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, if I did yeah. drugs, it was to drink more booze. Sure, I, that I get was it. my. Yeah, you know, yeah, I just need more. I'm yeah. Irish. I want to fight. I want to cry. I want to laugh, and I want to go to sleep. Yeah, that's yeah, what I want to yeah, do. Yeah. So, um, but it was just constant drink, 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 and that really started to seep into every part of my day. Suddenly, I'm having a couple to get on the plane and suddenly I'm having a couple before the radio show and then I'm drinking in the afternoon and then I'm home Monday and Tuesday and I'm trying to and you're just fucked well I'm being with my wife and kid trying to be super dad and I can't wait to get them in bed at 10 o'clock so I can get around the corner to my local watering spot 
and, and also and you're and like and you're hungover. And then I, I was like, wow, what I had the a, fuck yeah, am I, I doing? Right. Know? I had a moment on a plane yeah. that, like, I, I I think back, you know, because I've been sober, you know, a long time, and and uh, like where I bought a this is when you could still dr- bring liquid on. Yeah. I bought like a pint of vodka, and I was so proud of myself because I'm like, I'm not gonna pay for fucking booze on the plane. I got six <laughs> hours. I brought a pint, and it like, and I'm sitting next to some woman, you know, and uh, you know the stewardess comes, yeah, and, and she goes, and I go, yeah, just uh, you know, I just want a, some club soda, and I pull out this pint, and I look at the woman next to me like, huh, uh, like, and she's like, genius, yeah, and she's looking at me like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Like, how could she not understand? Why do you not get this? Yeah, it's like I'm fucking not understand what we're doing here. Yeah, yeah, this is like I'm the fucking ahead of the game here. Yeah, yeah. And my and my moment came when those worlds collided. I took my wife out on the road with me for New Year's Eve, and uh, and I came apart out there on the road like I normally do. And she saw that behavior, you know, and and. Uh, those are tough moments for your kid to see you that messed up too. And I realized, wow, what a mess, you know? And so, um, the look in their eye, uh, it's, I mean, he kept saying, is daddy sick? Is daddy sick? Oh God. Really heartbreaking stuff. And I'm just scratching it lightly, but my wife woke up the next morning and she said, um, she goes, <laughs> she had resolve in her voice. When a woman's done crying and there's resolve oh, in a woman's voice, yeah. you're in trouble. Yeah. So she said, I don't know what you have to do but I'm not going to live like this and your child's not going to live like this. So if you don't get it together, I'm leaving and I'm taking the baby. Whoa, yeah, man. Uh, and then I did, you know, I did the promise that any uh, knucklehead does. Oh, never going to happen again. I got it, man. I'm on top of this. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm clear now. Yeah. And then we got home. And uh, that night, a buddy of mine calls me and says, let's go to our spot. Yeah. We'll do some writing. Yeah, yeah I'm going to do some writing. Yeah. And uh, I said to her, I'm going to the bar. I'll be back early. I'm just going to do some writing. And uh, she said, I'm, I'm not kidding about what I said to you. And, uh, and I went anyway. And it was that moment. I got to the bar. We tried to pretend like we were writing jokes for about an hour. And then I ordered a Jameson. And I stared at it for, I bet, 20 minutes. And it was the weirdest thing because it was like knowing, all right, if you take a drink right now, yeah. you're going to lose your wife and your kid. You don't want to drink. You don't want to get drunk. And yet I knew I was going to drink. Yeah. And I took that drink knowing those things. Yeah. And that's the first time it occurred to me, okay, you can't do this alone, one, yeah. and you're sick. Yeah. Because no right-minded man... Would go. I'm gonna lose my wife and kid. Yeah, give me another one. Yeah, yeah. You, and and I and I drank that drink, knowing that, and it was the worst drunk of my life. You drank the only one, or did you no? Just, I oh, pounded yeah. them, but yeah. it, but the more I pounded, the more miserable I got that oh, night. Shit. And then uh, that was it, man. So what, what what happened when you went home that night? The ne- the well, I woke up, I think, in the wrong end of the bed the next morning, and she looked at me and she goes, and I said, okay. I go, give me one more chance. I need one more last chance, is what I said to her. I go, I need one more last chance. I will get help. And I, I had a buddy who helped me get sober. And that was that? Yeah, that was it. Five and a half years ago. That was so, that day? That was it. The the struggle with the, the, the struggling you lose, and then you go back home to her, and you know. I knew. Oh. I kn- knowing. I mean, how crazy is that? To know, okay, you're going to lose everything if you take this drink yeah. and take that drink. Yeah, well, good for you, man. <sighs> I, I I thank God that there was some clarity that 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 moment because that's what changed my life, and then and then it got hard. 
Oh yeah, and there's nothing it worse than being, brutal, than being the first few years of sobriety. Oh God, like, well, what is this? It's a feeling. I don't well, like uh, it. No, I don't want to feel it. <laughs> yeah, I need no, to numb horrible. everything. Yeah. I had, um, I did two and a half years, no drinks when, and that's when Mike and Molly came right at about the three year mark of sobriety. How was your fear? A ton level? of money in 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 debt, and I didn't know what I was doing. Really? Oh yeah, I was in debt. My and my marriage was tough because I was an asshole. You know what I mean? I, you know, my wife would go, would you like a cup of coffee? And go, I am not a fucking loser. Yeah. What are you, who, there's no one here. <laughs> who morning. are you arguing with? <laughs> who are you? What's wrong? It's the un- <laughs> that, that argument is always going on. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So until People I are a, just interrupting you being yes, the shit out of yourself. Yeah, you're bothering me here. I got a whole imaginary conversation <laughs> yeah, yeah. going on. So that started to ease up, and then, uh, and then the show came, and then... Um, I was able to put together a little bit of gratitude. and uh, But the amazing thing is that despite is. yourself, uh, for whatever reason... What a great way to say that, despite but, yourself. Yeah, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, you would put the work in. Like, and like, you know, I imagine when that opportunity came, you know, no matter how much fear you might have been in, you you were ready. I mean, no. you... No, no, but you, but you'd done the acting work. You'd done no, the that part. Work. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, had the you, skill set. The skill set was there. I, I was not ready. In Undeniable. The way this happened was pretty amazing. I did. I had a. Uh, I'm. I'm in. Uh, I was having. Uh, you know, just. I, I. It had been two years since I booked a job in yeah. Hollywood, and I started thinking to myself, you know what? Maybe that's it. Yeah. Maybe we're just done. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I call a buddy of mine in uh, Pittsburgh, Randy Bauman on WDVE, and he. I said, "Listen, man, I'm I'm having trouble. I'm going to run my wife and kid off. I, I had to get sober. Um, I got nothing going on. Uh, what do you, you got? Anything? He's well, like, it's a radio gig. It's a radio. He so goes, you can be a, a side man. Yeah. He goes, yeah. I'll put you on the radio. You'll work till ten. You go home. You put your life together. You come back home. To Morning to Pittsburgh. I was like, yeah. Morning. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. So in the meantime, what happens is I I, I have a friend. Uh, Judy Marmel, and she takes me Steve's to- Steve's wife? Yes. Yeah. And she takes me to uh, Nickelodeon, and we pitch this little idea. Nickelodeon agrees to give me a small deal, and yeah. this is what a nut job I am when I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I'll take that development money, and yeah. when that fails, I'll just use that to move back to Pittsburgh and right. work my way out of whatever financial trouble I'm in. So they start putting this deal together, and it's all exciting. And then I tell my friend in Pittsburgh, so I'm going to ride out one more pilot season, which, you know, is three months where you can do your auditions and yeah. hope you get on a show. I got six auditions in three months that I had to kick for. Yeah. I mean, had to really ring the phones to try to get auditions, because yeah. I think it was just kind of over. The sixth audition was Mike and Molly. I go in, and I audition for Chuck Lorre and Mark Roberts. Um, I leave there, and uh, I get a phone call. I fly to Houston to go work for Don Learned. Yeah. Okay, so I fly to Houston. I'm at the last spot. I get a phone call and they said, uh, "Hey, they want you to come in and test for Mike and Molly." Right. And I said, uh, "No, pass." And I wish I could sit here and tell you that it was just this cool thing that I was making them wet. I was just terrified. And then I knew I couldn't get rid of the other deal. It hadn't been inked yet. What do you yet. mean you just said pass because you had road work? Well, because I had uh, that, that small deal at Nickelodeon was still brewing, but it hadn't been signed yet, but I didn't want to lose the money that was on the table on a maybe. So I said, tell him thank you, but no thank you. So then Chuck Lorre's office calls and uh, Learned's with me and I see the thing come up and it's Warner Brothers number and he goes, you're going to answer that? And I go, no. 
But you were just so, doing this out of fear and fear. stupidity. Complete fear, but, yes. But you know, politically, it was fear. the right thing to do. I don't know. I, no, it, because it was just scary. I didn't know what be, to do, and well, I didn't want to lose the money I had. But he didn't know whether, like, this guy doesn't give a fuck. That makes If you don't give a fuck, they're I like, we got to get that guy. I don't know what it was. I think I just did a good job in the read. And no, but I'm just saying the, 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 the tactic. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, okay. Looking back, maybe, maybe I look brilliant, but I, I think I was just scared shitless. Yeah. So Chuck Lorre calls. Yeah. The man calls himself. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, what? What do I do now? Yeah. And uh, my manager's like, if you don't call him, I'm going to come down here and fucking kill you myself. I'm like, <laughs> all right, I'll call. And it was, again, out of fear. So I called Chuck and I laid it on the line with him, man. Yeah. I just got really, really honest with him. And I said, I'll tell you the truth, man. My marriage is on the brink. I go, I'm about 80 grand in debt. I go, I got no prospects except this one little deal that's on the table for me and i can't come over to mike and molly and do this audition on a maybe and chuck talked to me for an hour he said listen man he goes sometimes you gotta let go of your fear and just have a leap of faith and he goes and i'm telling you he goes you know you're my guy he goes i'm saying that to you now you're my guy and i'm gonna push for you now that's unbelievable and i said listen he goes and he asked me too he was very cool he's like well why did you come in yeah and i said well i came in because i wanted to get in the scene for you guys i thought maybe down the line i get a part as a bartender and <laughs> yeah. he's like jesus and he's like look i want you to come in and read this and i'll push for you and i said look man i said i know who you are i go i respect who you are you're the norman lear of this generation i go if i was 20 i'd be over there waxing your hubcaps right yeah. now i go but i'm Pushing 40, I got my marriage in the toilet. All I got is one little deal on this table with this other thing that even hasn't been inked yet, but at least I know that'll get me home. Yeah. And he just kept talking to me and saying, look, this is going to be okay, but you got to show some faith here. You got to show, I'm telling you, you're the right guy for this part, okay? And when the guy who knows how to do TV better than anybody in the last 20 years tells you that, you should probably listen. Right. So my answer was, um, I'm going to talk to my wife and I'm going to... I'll, I'll call you back Monday. Can I please call you back Monday? And he said, absolutely. So I get off the phone with him, <laughs> and I call my agent at the time, Jim Gosnell, who said one of the funniest things on earth to me. Uh, he, this is when I was at APA, and he goes, he goes, get out a pencil. Get out a pencil. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, write this down. I go, all right. I, he goes, Bill Cosby. I wrote down Bill Cosby. Yeah. And he goes, Tim Allen. I wrote down Tim Allen. Yeah. I wrote Drew Carey. Yeah. I wrote down Drew Carey. And he goes, you know what they have in common? I go, what? And he goes, none of them have been on fucking Nickelodeon. <laughs> he goes, what is wrong with you? So, <laughs> so now everybody's trying to get me to do this, but yeah. I'm just scared I'm going to lose the one lifeline I have to get out of debt and get home, okay? Hmm. So I called my wife and I said, I go, honey, I go, here's the deal. Chuck Lorre thinks I'm the guy for this thing. Yeah. I go, but we're going on a maybe. I still got to go through the network studio thing. Then I got to go through, or I got to go through studio. Then I got to go through network. Then, then I'll get the pie. But you've built up some good points where you got two and a half years sober now. I do. I do. But I'm still a dick. I'm still a dick. <laughs> I had, hadn't learned how to shut up quite okay. yet. Yeah, right. So my wife, to her credit, yeah. said, you have to do this. She goes, this is the phone call. People wait. She goes, it, she goes, it astounds me, but it doesn't surprise me that you are unaware of this. <laughs> She's yeah. a great girl, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> the only crazy thing that woman ever did was marry me. Yeah. But she, she said, this is the phone call guys wait for 
for 25 years. You just got a phone call that doesn't even exist in this world anymore. Right. You when is right. the last when right. have you re- heard a story? Of, you're the you're the guy. Yeah. Get the guy. Yeah. Hollywood's so, calling. Yeah, exactly. He goes, yeah. She goes, you she goes, that happened to you. She goes, you have to trust this man and uh-huh. do this. So I called my agents back and and I had my manager on the phone and my two agents at the time and I said, I go, I go, all right, we all think this is a good idea, right? And they're like, Yeah, yeah, we all think it's a good idea. Go, we we're all on board, right? We're all on board. I go, good, because if it goes wrong, everybody's fired anyway. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> so then I called uh Chuck back. I said, Mr. Laurie, I'll be in there Monday and I'm gonna do my best for you and and i hope this works out he goes i just trust me he goes because you're you're the guy i want and you're reading with melissa well this is a, this is the thing melissa was in there and with another girl then i was in there with another uh mike and then there were two carls and mm. then this is how weird stuff happens so it's like this is the this is the, the test it's one it's yeah. the test the network well the test. first one's a studio test okay i walk into the room and then i realize it's warner brothers Warner Brothers is the studio, the yeah. distribution studio. So when I walk in, Peter Roth, the president of Warner Brothers, comes over and gives me a big hug. That puts me at ease because 15 years earlier, I had gotten a development deal from Peter Roth. Mm-hmm. And then he got a big job at Warner Brothers and went from Fox to Warner Brothers. Then Doug Herzog came in, and you know how they do yeah. If you have a deal, they sweep you off the table. Right. But he was a fan then and was willing to go for it, but he obviously had a huge opportunity happen. So he walks in, and now he's on my team. So now... He's the hug was to, to say you stuck in. So you're you're good. You're you good, st- kid. You we love you. In. Chuck says you're great. So now I read for him, and afterwards, now I've got Chuck Laurie and Peter Roth in my corner. Yeah. Now that's like now I'm now I'm at the point like okay, someone's this is I'm gonna get pranked or something. Right, right, How is right, this right. happening? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So then we're, it's a radio prank. The guy in Pittsburgh. Yeah, exactly. He said the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> so now, but weirder things are happening at the time. Reno Wilson walks in to play yeah. Carl. And he's a guy that me and him did a show eight years ago that in six episodes got canceled because they put it on opposite American Idol. Mm-hmm. We just got murdered. But me and him stayed friends. He actually called me three months before this thing went up and said, this is our show. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got to go to Cincinnati. I'll probably read it when I get back. Yeah. But that's what happened. We ended up beating out all the other guys in our category once we read for him. So yeah. then- we get to the uh, we get to the network test, and I call Chuck again. Like I haven't bothered this guy. Like this guy hasn't done enough to get me <laughs> on the show. Yeah, and God bless him for his patience. But I said, hey man, I go listen. I go, I can't go over to that basement. I just can't do it. You know, CBS has this place where when you test for a show, yeah. it used to be at the old place. It was in the basement, yeah. and it was a dark theater. Yeah. There was like maybe 30 seats, theater yeah. seats. Yeah. There's one light in the room, and it's on a chair. It just looks like an old Russian interrogation room. Yeah. And you're supposed to read to the darkness, and the casting director right. reads out. And I have failed in there nine times. I was there one time, three times in two weeks one year and didn't get anything. Yeah. The third time I went in thinking, I'll crack a joke to, to see if it's funny. And, yeah. I, and Les Moombas was in there. And I, yeah. go, I go, hey, if I don't get on this, can I get on Survivor? I need to drop a few. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> just, just get out. Please leave here. So. I said to Chuck, I go, man, all my audition yeah. blood is spilled all over that basement. I right. go, I can't. I yeah. can't do it. He goes, he goes, oh. And he was thoughtful for a minute. He goes, I'll ask him to come over to my office. There's maybe two guys in town that can do that. Right. So they came over to his office. Oh, boy. And then Melissa came in. And me and Melissa sat down. And she was, she was eight months pregnant at the time. Mm. And uh, we started reading. 
and man, it was just it was apparent even to my dumbass that this was we're supposed to be this couple. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like it just made sense. And then when I read with Reno, they yeah. had me read with the other guy. Yeah. And then they had him read with the other Mike, and then they had us read together. Halfway through our audition, Chuck just looked at us. He goes, "Okay, I get it." He goes, I get it. It's fine. I get it. <laughs> and then this, they, they had uh, five days to execute the contract. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fifth day, at about 10 to 6, they, they locked us in for the pilot. And you know where I was when that happened? I was in Milwaukee mm -hmm. working a strip club that had a comedy club in the basement. And there's just 12 people. This is a true story. There's 12 people in the audience. I, I get off stage. And I'm like, what have I? Again, it's one of those nights. Like, what? I can't even drink this away. What have I done? And this is after five days of waiting. Waiting. And now I look down at my phone. There's 26 texts. I'm like, those got to be good. Those got if, if it's bad, it's one text and yeah. no one talks to you. Yeah. So I start calling. I go, we got the pilot. We got the pilot. The pilot's going up. The pilot's going up. So I, my brothers had driven up. My brother had driven up from Chicago to Milwaukee to visit with me, and we uh, <laughs> we go, you know, like good addicts. We're like, well, we're on a roll. Let's go to the casino. <laughs> so I get in a truck with him. We're driving to the casino at uh, in Milwaukee, yeah. and uh, I called my wife. I said, "We got the pilot, honey. We got the pilot." I go, "Listen, I'm going to take a hundred dollars." out of the atm and just play at the casino for a little bit with my brother to celebrate and she's like okay honey congratulations by mm -hmm. the way this woman has stayed through this whole right. this whole tornado of yeah. addiction and stupidity yeah. she has stayed the course this woman <laughs> so so before as we pull into the parking lot of the casino uh she calls me back she goes don't touch the atm i go why what happened she goes she goes, ah, she goes, we had one other electronic bill come out. There's only $7.91 in the ATM machine. That's all that's in your bank account right now. Yeah. Uh, so I, I rolled into that pilot with $7.91. And then we couldn't play at the casino, so like a good comic, I went back to the club and talked them into giving me an advance. <laughs> and then I went back, back to the casino. We won a few bucks. You did? Yeah. Well, that was good. Yeah, and then the next hurdle was uh, I found out Jim Burroughs was going to direct it, the legend. Mm -hmm. right? Three years before that, I went in to audition for him for a show at NBC, and I locked up so horrifyingly bad in a room full of NBC executives, like throat dried up, couldn't uh, yeah, uh, couldn't yeah. get my breath, couldn't right. talk, started sweating, tried to start over three times, and it just got quieter and uglier. Is it, so I'm thinking Burroughs is going to remember what a horrible actor I am. Yeah, you know? yeah. So we do the table read for Mike and Molly, and I said, well, i got to face it down. So I, I walk over, and I go, hey, Mr. Burroughs, just want you to know, look, that time I was in NBC, and I didn't, you know, I messed up, and I didn't, I wasn't ready, and, and I just didn't, I, I want you to know I'm on top of this. And he goes, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> no recollection. <laughs> had no recollection of it, and I was already, I'm so sorry, but I'll do a good job. <laughs> and then uh, and then him and Chuck and uh, I, the Mark Roberts took us out of port, and the show became what it was and it's just this uh it's this amazing thing to go to work to every day it's an amazing i i don't it blows me away like it blows me away from where it was to where it is is just as as not none of my doing well you know? I, I i think you're being humble i'm being grateful because okay. i know it could have very easily gone the other way yeah very very easily and what season are you in now what season we're coming into this is number four uh -huh. 10 episodes into number four and uh, at the end of this year, we'll be seven away from syndication. Uh huh. Pretty crazy. It's great. That's pretty crazy. It's a great story. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. It's very funny, <laughs> you know, and congratulations and all that and you know, everything. The one thing about a guy like you is that, you know, no one's going to say, like, that guy didn't earn that. <laughs> no, you know what? You know, the greatest line ever was from my manager because when I got the pilot yeah. and the show got picked up, a lot of comics that I admired gave me really great props. Yeah. And uh, and my manager said the funniest thing. He goes, "You know, you've been doing this long enough, when even the bitter comics are happy for you." <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I was like, "Right on!" It's beautiful. But then I also know part of me knows that there's a young comic somewhere saying, in the "Fuck Midwest, that guy!" Fuck that guy! Yeah. <laughs> yep. Good luck to that guy. He's just like us. <laughs> That's our guy. Right, that is our guy. That is that is our tribe is what that is. And, and, and really, thank you for doing that, uh, the road comic show on Showtime. Road because, Dogs. Road yes, Dogs. Sir. Because those guys, uh, you know, I, I really got the feeling when I saw what it was and I saw, you know, I watched an episode that, you know, you're giving back to these guys that had such an effect on, on us, you know, just kind of moving through it. And here's what I love about it, too, the most is I get to stand between them and the production people by being the producer of that right because what i always felt was when you put a comic on tv yes it's a wonderful showcase for them to be able to do but you really pull a lot of their power out by going can you do this minute yeah and then can you do minute 33 you let them do like 20 can you do minute 22 but not just the thing the the fact that they rip the bones out of the act and try to mash it in five minutes which is tough and some guys are great at it but it's, it makes it really tough, but it also lessens the power of the delivery. Mm-hmm. By doing this show, I could say to them, I want you to go up on stage and start your act, and I'll light you at 20 minutes. Because then you get the guy or the girl in their most relaxed state doing what they have done for 20 years. Right. So it, the, the phobia of all that shit goes away, and it just becomes that pure club feeling, and that's what I've been trying to capture with it. And that's, that's what's great. been really fun about it, too. Oh, good, know? man. I'm glad you did it. Yeah, it's it's. I'm proud of that one. Well, thanks for talking, Billy. Dude, yeah. Can I say lock the gate? Sure. Lock the gate! Yeah. That's my favorite. Right. Thank you, Mark. That's our show. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. I am Mark Marin. Why am I outroing myself? I never outro myself. Again, I will be floundering, rambling, and wrestling with myself at the Trippany Playhouse at the Steve Allen Theater uh, tomorrow, February 18th, Tuesday, and Tuesday, March 4th, and Tuesday, March 11th. Trippanyhouse.org is where you can go for tickets. I also, out of love in my heart for my Mac guy, uh, for saving my ass uh, and shutting my phone off from space. MacManNow.com if you're in the LA area and you need Mac assistance. He's very attentive and he's a smart guy. Also, if you want to have WTF needs, go to WTFPod.com. I'm not going to ramble too long. Pow! Yes! I'm doing it. Shit my pants. JustCoffee.coop available at WTFPod.com happening folks but listen i want you know this all right you, most of you can tune out if you want but i'm just gonna ramble for a minute um i want you to know that you know things are going okay okay but there's no guarantee of that the struggle continues in me the re- i'm very happy in the relationship i'm in but they don't know you're here they think it's the end <laughs> boomer lives <laughs> <laughs>